whistleblower report exposing lies, deceptions, and all that has assaulted our way of life. We must take back our freedom and live as God designed in a free America that honors our Constitution and our Creator. Our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report. This is Dr. Lee for America. And this program is a military report, but in honor of Veterans Day, in honor of all of those who have fought and defended freedom as our founders envisioned it, honoring those who have stood for their oath to the U.S. Constitution, not a political agenda or ideology, and not a president. The U.S. military has had an honorable tradition since our founding And it was always focused on recognition that the defense of our rights under the Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights, and Constitution needed to be defended on the world stage by a military that operated under the Judeo-Christian values on which America was founded and operated under a rule of law with a moral underpinning. That is where we began. And in fact, that is where America has been down through our history until the changes that began to occur after World War II, beginning with Korea and then Vietnam. And when you look at our history, America has not fought to win a war since World War II. That's a pretty strong statement, but I think in our program tonight, going back through the history, I think you will come to see why I said it that way. And with me tonight is Master Sergeant Fernando Jack Dona, who is a descendant of other military family members who fought in Korea. And he is going to not only tell you about his background in the United States military, but also a little bit about his ancestors. And these are the people that it means a great deal to him to honor And it means a lot to me with a grandfather, father, and brother, and husband who served in the U.S. military to honor all of our veterans on this day and to talk about where we are now and how we restore the honorable tradition 
of the U.S. military after the disastrous decisions by the Department of Defense that has undermined our military, undermined the rule of law, UCMJ and the Constitution through the COVID mandates required under the Biden administration and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, who, for all of you to understand, does not have a valid oath of office, according to Todd Callender and his legal research team, who have investigated the oath of office for all of the top officials of the Biden administration, including Vice President Harris. So an unlawful mandate for the COVID shots has decimated our military in ways that we will not fully see all of the damage until years ahead of us, but also is being carried out by people in power who don't even have a valid oath of office. And that is something that our military veterans take very seriously is their oath. And their view is that their oath to the United States Constitution never expires, even in retirement. And we see that with our guest today, who has headed a group of volunteer retired military enlisted, senior enlisted and officers who are working to expose the invasion on the border, election, stolen elections in Arizona and other states, and who are working, still operating under their oath to the United States Constitution. So Master Sergeant Donna, I really salute you for your service, your long service, almost 40 years of service in the U.S. military, and then following your continued service to America. And I'd like our listeners to really better understand your incredible background yourself and your ancestors that you honor as well. No, thank you for having me, Doc. I really appreciate the uh, the opportunity to uh, be uh, here with you and to speak with you on uh, this day. Uh, my name is uh, Master Sergeant uh, Fernando Jack Don. I go by Jack. Uh, I spent uh, four decades in the intelligence community. I was an electronic warfare field systems engineer, uh, specialized in C4 ISR systems, intelligence surveillance reconnaissance systems. Uh, I'm a uh, inductee into the MI Hall of Fame as a Knowlton recipient, Military Intelligence Hall of Fame as a Knowlton recipient. And uh, I worked for the National Security Agency for five years as their uh, division chief uh, for one of the uh, responsible training authority um, uh, division training courses there, which handled national level uh, uh, specialized uh, computer training for uh, the intelligence community. Um, my family uh, has a long history of uh, military service. I served, uh, both of my brothers served. My, uh, my oldest brother is a retired Lieutenant Colonel, United States Air Force. My father is a, um, is a retired Air Force uh, senior master sergeant. Uh, he spent uh, roughly 24 years in the Air Force. Uh, he did a tour in the Korean War as a navigator on uh, 
I believe it was a C46, C46 or C47. Um, uh, and he also did three tours in Vietnam. Uh, I've got quite a few deployments uh, overseas, both as both in uniform and as a uh, as a Department of Defense uh, empl uh, employee. So I've been to Iraq, I've been to Afghanistan, I've been to Singapore, Japan, Horn of Africa, Djibouti, uh, Qatar, Bahrain, Kuwait, uh, many places in Europe, Britain, uh, Great Britain. So uh, my family has a long history of military service in particular. my I'd like to talk about uh, this, you know, weekend and, you know, there were two days that were very important to our family as uh, days of remembrance and days of great sadness. Uh, my first name is Fernando. I'm named after my uncle, uh, PFC Fernando Rivera, who uh, was part of uh, Task Force Smith. Now, anybody who's listening to this who has any uh, knowledge of uh, uh, military operations, Task Force Smith was the uh, ad hoc and hastily thrown together uh, defensive operation that uh, uh, was the a kickoff of the Korean War. So in July of 1950, at the Battle of Taejon in South Korea, uh, at the uh, uh, there was a holding defense at the uh, at the airfield by uh, U.S. forces, and uh, my uh, uncle, unfortunately, uh, was captured. Uh, the, the, the eyewitness accounts show that. Um, they were very ill-prepared, very, very, very ill-equipped. The uh, Pentagon had uh, had totally not uh, been prepared for a massive incursion by the North Korean army that would that crossed the 38th parallel. So, uh, quite literally, um, they had to surrender because they had ran out of they ran out of ammunition. Uh, so, he was captured at the uh, at the fall of uh, the city of Taejon, Battle of Taejon. And he was forced marched for roughly four months. Uh, and his name is listed on the Tiger List. Uh, the, the Tiger List is basically a, uh, a list of, uh, that was kept by a, uh, a high-ranking POW. And he held on to the list until the late 90s, where literally he came forward and said, hey, I've been trying to get somebody to take a look at this list. And it, it shows that um, in... November of 1950, after being forced marched almost the entire length of the uh, Korean Peninsula, um, my uncle and 20 other uh, POWs who could no longer go any further were uh, 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 pushed into a ditch on the side of the road uh, and near Manpo, Manpo, North Korea, and they were executed by uh, forces of the Chinese Communist Party. So. Excuse me. You know, it's just, it is so hard yeah. to talk about the horror and cruelty. Well, of this, that. Was a sad, this was a sad time for, you know, it was a sad time because uh, I was, I was born in, in 1965. Um, but I remember that every Memorial Day and every Veterans Day, 
my grandparents would uh, pull out the paperwork that they received from the Department of Defense showing that he was a, a POW, that he was missing in action. So every year, my grandparents would hold a vigil for my uncle, hoping that one day he would he would come home. And so my grandfather passed away, never saw his son again. Uh, I never met him. I, I just heard stories about him. He was a wonderful guy. He was, he was uh, diminutive in size, just like myself. He was not a Remember everything that I've heard from my family members. He was never going to survive uh, in captivity. He was not a, he was not a, he was not a particularly swarthy and strong man. You had to be very strong to survive those camps. You had to have a lot of weight on you. You had to have a lot of mass on you because they literally starved you to death. Um, so, when my grandmother, in I believe it was around 1995, 1996, received a notification from. Uh, the repatriation branch of uh, the Department of the Army, that uh, his name was in fact verified to have been on the Tiger list. It was just too much for her. And uh, because then it was definite, she knew he was never going to come home. And it wasn't much longer after that she had a stroke and, and she passed away. So, you know, you talk about the failures of, of the U.S. military. That's probably, I would say, Task Force Myth, which happened in uh, Korea, would probably have to be one of the worst. I mean, the, the the soldiers were sent there literally with just a rifle, a uniform. They had no cold weather gear. They had no, there was no supply train set up to, to replenish them. They were literally thrown out there as a, um, as a speed bump. Just hold things off until we can get our act together and get our forces there. Uh, anybody can look it up, you know, the, the the tragedy that was Task Force Smith. So, and we see this, we see this repeated, uh, repeatedly happen. I mean, you, when we talk about um, civilian control of the military, yes, that's the way it's supposed to work. But unfortunately, and we really saw this during the Vietnam era, uh, you know, I speak to my father about this many times, spoke to him about this many times, that the politicians never really wanted to win that war. You know, a lot of a lot of what happened, what transpired in during the Vietnam era, was uh, the military-industrial complex. And now uh, this is based upon what I heard firsthand from my father, who did three tours in Viet Vietnam. Uh, they were testing out new weapon systems. In particular, the big thing that they were testing out was. Uh, air mobility via helicopters. It was, that's why a lot of the old Viet, Vietnam veterans, if you talk to them about, you know, the helicopter war, that's Vietnam. Because prior to that, um, rotary rotary aircraft, helaborne aircraft, had not been used in any large capacity to move equipment and soldiers, with the sole exception of Korea. I mean, anybody who's seen the MASH movies, you know, the um, the old, I believe they're Sikorsky's. The old, the old Sikorsky's that, uh, you know, Hawkeye Pierce and the other, they would go to the helicopter landing and they had the two, the two bodies, you know, strapped to the sides of the skids of the helicopter. But prior, prior to um, Vietnam, uh, helicopter use had not been really used. So it was a windfall for um, the defense industry and the subsequent weapon systems that were developed along with that because then 
it, it went from uh, trans transporting troops to actually turning them into um, gunships, helicopter gunships, and using them for close air ground support. So we see a pattern with um, uh, you know the civilian uh, uh, appointees, political appointees, uh, not really uh, not really getting the job done the way it should be done. I mean, prior to that, we fought wars to win. It was basically we are going to destroy the enemy utterly and completely. Completely, uh, there will be no conditions. There will be no you know. Uh, uh, well, we're going to talk, we're going to negotiate. It was basically that once that all ended, okay, it was basically we're going to fight this war until you are sitting at a table signing surrender documents. And that's how we fought wars, World War II and before. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if the younger generation watching this, I know veterans probably know this, but um, we're technically still at war. With North Korea, there is there has been no peace agreement signed, ending hostilities between uh, uh, the uh, forces of of uh, you wouldn't call them NATO. It was basically a coalition forces that fought on the uh, the Korean Peninsula and the uh, North Korean army. It's it's basically the longest standing armistice or ceasefire in existence. Now, just think about that. I mean, just. Think about that. We have we have had men stationed there, twenty five thousand roughly, men and women, since my uncle was captured in nineteen fifty, in July of nineteen fifty. I mean, that, that's just mind boggling. And we see this kind of we see this kind of I call I'll just call it rank incompetence, uh, repeated over and over again. And who benefits? Uh, I I see, and you know, full disclosure, I worked for some of those defense contractors after I retired from the military. Uh, defense contractors are making a windfall over this. Uh, most recently, the debacle that took place in Afghanistan, uh, that was an absolute tragedy. You know, the, the, the former president wanted to take that gear out of there or at least blow it up. And we essentially left what was roughly $80 billion in equipment behind for the enemy. And people need to understand something. I mean, you know, we're talking machine guns and, and, and armaments and, and Humvees and, 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 you know, up armored Humvees and, and even aircraft. They're going to be using that stuff, especially the, the, the small arms. They're going to be using that stuff and selling that stuff and on the black market until those things rust away. Hundred years from now, these these things are going to be floating around all over the world, killing people. And our uh, military leaders did that in Afghanistan. And the real tragedy about it is is twofold. One, it's that we, that they did that, um, and two, we have people that are left behind there that were interpreters and people that, uh, uh, indigenous people that, that, that were, were given paperwork that promised them they would be taken care of. A lot of those people died. A lot of those people were killed. You know, I, I received word that the three interpreters that I had 
when I was over there that they were they, they were killed, they were executed. And, well, and you know, Jack, we just need to look at the true story in the movie The Covenant, which I watched recently, that talked about the fact that the Department of Defense would not honor their agreement to this interpreter and his family. And this one military veteran went on his own, risking his life, mortgaged his house to raise the money to go and keep his commitment, his covenant with his translator who had saved his life. And it it was just, um, and when I learned from you and your discussion, as well as at the end of that movie, where they talked about there were 300 translators left behind in 2021 under the Biden disastrous, humiliating withdrawal designed to humiliate America and designed to give our enemies the weapons that our taxpayers had developed and paid for. There were 300 translators who were all murdered by the Taliban. And our own civilians still stuck there, plus the 13 Marines, plus the tragic story that you shared with me about the military working dogs kept in crates on the airport tarmac and left by our military. I mean, I just, I find it hard to even comprehend how anyone who served in uniform could abandon humans and the close bond with the animals that had been trained to save lives. Yeah. You know how bad it was. I'll tell you real bad. I heard from a, I heard from one of my uh, he's a retired military and he's a he, he was a contractor and he told me that he heard from one of his uh, friends in the um, in the uh, British forces that was at uh, Bagram Airfield and we left in the middle of the night to the point that. Um, <laughs> When the coalition forces woke up, they looked around and they were like, hey, where are the Americans? All the Americans' barracks are closing. And then the power went out because there was nobody manning the power station. And they quite literally, that's how quickly we left. We literally just, we didn't even let our coalition forces know. They, they woke up the next morning and it's like, hey, where are the Americans? Now, what kind of a message does that send to our allies? Moreover, it does catastrophic damage to good order, morale, and discipline in our own military. In our exactly. own Exactly. It's yeah. a coward's retreat. Correct. Correct. That's right. And and I I look at it as a civilian who has watched our military be undermined by politicians, particularly Democrats. I go back to uh, Jimmy Carter, back to um, Clinton, Lyndon Johnson, Biden. I mean, they have all been despicable yep. in just undermining our military integrity, our agreements, 
the care of the troops, honoring the rule of law. It has been a despicable tradition that I've seen over my life let me, by let, the leaders, political leaders. Let me, let me share something with you real quick. When that happened in Afghanistan, I got a call from my dad. He's 92 years old. And you know what he told me? He said, now you know how I feel. And I said, Dad, I never thought in my life, because I, I was there in Afghanistan. I did. I was there three times. And I said, I never thought I would see something like this. And he said, they did this to us in Vietnam. Now you, now you know how us Vietnam veterans felt. And that really struck home. Yes. Yeah. And Jack, I'm a little older than you. And, and I watched, I was just, um, just becoming an adult. And I watched the disastrous treatment of our service members coming back from Vietnam after that humiliating agreement in Paris. And it was just, I just felt like, I, as a young person, not in the military, but just absolutely felt like it was a gut punch. Demoralized. To watch how people treated mm -hmm. our service members. Yep. yep. They did the honorable thing. They followed their orders. They went thinking they were serving America's defense of freedom. And it, it was just despicable. Mm -hmm. So I, that's why I wanted to do the program to honor those veterans who served honorably and who have been mistreated by our civilian leadership and by military leaders that cared more about their job and their medals and their salad on their chest and their pension than honoring what military service was supposed to be about. Yeah. So let's talk more after the break because it, it makes me as a civilian very angry to see what has been done. And, and I wasn't in the service feeling the sense of betrayal that you and your father and so many others experienced. Yeah. But let's let's take a break and we'll be right back. This is Dr. Lee for America. All of you listening, remember our military service members have volunteered today to serve this country. They deserve our support. Our veterans deserve our gratitude. They're, they are the reason that we live in freedom now. And this is rapidly changing with us, with our government being taken over as a totalitarian dictatorship with no regard for the rule of law in the Department of Defense, Department of Justice, FBI, all across the federal agencies and our judiciary, Congress not standing up. America, we have a crisis of confidence, a crisis of competence, and a crisis of honor. This Veterans Day, I ask all of you to remember our proud tradition 
and thank the veterans that you know in your life who have served. And let's work together as citizens to help restore that honor and integrity. We'll be right back after the break. Check out the new Truth For Health store at truthforhealthstore.com. We have exclusive professional formulas with exciting new products, including True Mitochondrial Boost that can help improve your energy, memory, focus, and concentration. All of our products are manufactured in certified compliant facility using good manufacturing practices approved and inspected by the FDA. Check us out www.truthforhealthstore.com. Welcome back to the second half of the Whistleblower Report Veterans Day, honoring our military service members down through our history and those who are still alive from previous wars who are many coming to the end of their lives. And I I really want to focus on honoring all of them. So Master Sergeant Dona, you were talking about the betrayal in both Vietnam and Afghanistan, but we saw that in Iraq as well. Yes, we did. Um, You know, uh, so let's talk about Iraq. When the entire Iraq war kicked off or was about to kick off, uh, some of your um, watchers, some of the people watching or following, I'm sure some of the veterans will remember that uh, then um, Secretary of State Colin Powell addressed the United Nations. And he addressed the United Nations stating that the Iraqis were in the process of uh, creating weapons of mass destruction via high-speed aluminum tubes. Who remembers that? Remember remember the high-speed? And it's still online. You can look it up. Colin Powell. I remember that speech. High-speed aluminum to tubes. They're going to... They're, they're working on uh, enriching uranium, or that was the inference by, you know, with the high-speed aluminum tubes. And um, I remember watching that, and at the time, I was at the U.S. Army Intelligence Center at Fort Huachuca at the time. I was, uh, I was actually the uh, uh, sergeant major for uh, Futures Directorate at the time. Uh, I was actually serving in that capacity as an E-8. And I remember asking some of my colleagues saying, I, I don't remember seeing anything at all about weapons of mass destruction or high-speed aluminum tubes. I, I don't, has anybody seen anything like this? And all of my colleagues were like, I don't know what he's talking about. I, I have no idea what he's, what he's talking about. And so the Iraqi war was, was about to commence. Now, here's the second part of this, all right? Does anybody remember the final interview that uh, Saddam Hussein gave to, uh, oh gosh, what was his name? 
I think he worked for, uh, I think he worked for NBC. It was either NBC or it might have been CBS. Um, but he subsequently got was disgraced and and he left in disgrace. He was a high, very high level reporter. But he went over there and he he interviewed Saddam Hussein. It was his last. It was Saddam Hussein's last interview, and that's also online. And he said, "I promise you, you guys will come in here and you will not find any weapons of mass destruction. You won't find them because they don't exist." But we went in there anyway, and we spent so many billions of dollars rebuilding that place. Well, we we could talk about we could talk about the bit one of the biggest screw ups, and this was this was something. This is my opinion. I don't know where the decision was made, but uh, uh, somebody at the Pentagon and uh, and what I was told was it was Donald Rumsfeld made the decision after the, after the Iraqi army was defeated. They made the decision to fire all of the police forces, fire all of the military. Just just get, get we're gonna we're gonna start all the way from scratch. Now, where did all of those people go? All of those people that were fired, fired. Where did they go? They went up north. Well, I remember that decision, yep. and and I re I recall. Mm -hmm. I yep. recall what was going on at the time, and I actually remember hearing Rumsfeld do an interview where he said, "We don't think we can trust them, and so we are." But let me ask, yeah. So let me ask you this question: You take someone who's who's you know I don't know he's a captain, a major, a lieutenant colonel, okay, and uh, he's in the military and he's providing for his family and everything. And then the next thing you know, boom, you don't have any income. You can't make it any. You can't. You can't have. You don't have any money. Exactly. Uh, because, what do you think that person's gonna do? They've just become your enemy. That's right. They all went. They all went north, and they started causing problems with the Kurds. And then, subsequent down the line, who formed up the Caliphate, ISIS, and, and we're still we're still dealing with that over there. We still have our forces in there. Again, they're still under attack. Multiple multiple places in northern 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 uh, Iraq are getting getting attacked. Our guys are still there. So. Uh, no, I thought we made a lot of disastrous decisions by the civilian leadership at the Department of Defense. And this is what has bothered me over my adult life, is seeing the civilian leadership of the U.S. military and Department of Defense, which, by the way, is not specified in the U.S. Constitution. It's a political entity, not a constitutional one. And what has bothered me is the fact that they are the ones who have made decisions that have lost the wars that the American taxpayers were paying for and the American service members were becoming injured and or lost their lives and look back on it. Why was I there? Yeah. That's a valid, that's a very valid question. Now let's, let's take let's take Afghanistan. Most recently, Afga uh, Afghanistan, okay, in the debacle in Afghanistan, not one general officer was fired for that debacle. Not one. In fact, in fact, Milley, General Milley, the the the, the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, 
actually thought, you know, he gave an interview where he thought they did a wonderful job. Now, by what, by what standard do these people think? But, but, but there's more to this than, than that, okay? Now, anybody who knows the, the military rank structure knows that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is in an advisory role to the president. He advises the president. It is not his position of power or authority to direct any MACOM or any MACOM. It's, it's not. He's in an advisory capacity. He, he can advise the president. He can take input from his fellow four stars in the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines. Okay. But the people that are supposed to be making these decisions are supposed to be the Secretary of the Army, the Secretary of the Navy, the Secretary of the Air. Where are these guys? Now, I remember when I served in the 80s and the 90s, these people were, were very prominent. They were very prominent and, and upfront, you know. But now you have the, a four star general, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, for all intents and purposes, making all the decisions. When did that happen? And why is that happening? And why isn't our congressional leaders asking that question? Why is this? Why is this four-star general, who he's, he, he doesn't have anybody under him except the, the, the four or five four-stars for the different services. Maybe he has a support staff, but he doesn't, he's not in any command position. But for all intents and purposes, he was the front guy for this whole Afghanistan debacle, and nobody was held accountable. Why, when did that change? Because I remember also very active roles of the secretaries of the Army, uh, Navy, Air Force, and so on um, during earlier wars. Yep. And yet suddenly, recently, yes. we've seen exactly what you've described. And I, I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah. And, 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 and it's a problem because, you know, the, the, <clears throat> the generals are supposed to follow the orders of the civilians, okay? And and that would be, you know, from the president to the various secretaries, okay? And these secretaries are supposed to be highly vetted and they're supposed to, you know, I think most of them have served and everything, but we're not seeing that. We're not seeing. We're not. We're not seeing that at all. And and you know, you 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 mentioned something earlier, uh, or when we talked earlier about the Senator Tuberville. He is to be applauded for what he's doing. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. absolutely. He is yeah. trying to do his best to mm -hmm. hold the military accountable to the rule of law. Yes. And mm -hmm. I really would like to encourage all of our listeners to write a letter to your senators and ask them to support Senator Turboville because his effort is focused on forcing the Department of Defense to obey the law and stop illegal taxpayer-funded abortions and stop these carte blanche promotions of officers just based on longevity and political ideology he is trying to follow the proper procedure. And of course, the ideologues and the politicos 
-hmm. are trying to undermine his efforts. This is a travesty, what is going on. One of the biggest problems that, that, that I think did a lot of damage to how, should we say, military operations are, are conducted was the whole situation that took place in Benghazi. Yes. And I, you know, I could go on and on about Benghazi, but, but you know, the biggest thing that the biggest takeaway that I saw from Benghazi was um, they held their hearings. They made a lot of noise. Uh, uh, they, you know, a lot of hair pulling, a lot of this, a lot of that. Um, and in the end, nobody was held accountable. And when you and when you start to develop a pattern like that, where no one is held ac accountable, you know, for example, okay, so let's go back to Vietnam. Everybody knew the writing was on the wall when General Westmoreland had to come home. Okay, that when 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 General Westmoreland had to come home, everybody knew the writing was on the wall. This this thing is a real loser, and we we got to get out. I mean, it ended Lyndon Baines Johnson's presidency, and you know, so you know you know, there was accountability. And it seems like seemingly now uh, we rush willy-nilly into these different conflicts for political reasons, for, for, for economic reasons. Uh, and there's no consideration given to the soldier, sailor, airman, marine. There's no, there's no consideration given to them in that um, they are going to be the ones that are going to have to pay the ultimate price, and that's important. You know, that is that is that is important. Very a very important point that people need to understand that right now, many of the bureaucrats and appointed political people in Washington, D.C., and in the Pentagon are not even thinking about that anymore. No, they're, they're not. not. Um, and, and in fact, they are treating our service members basically as cannon fodder. They are, they, there is little awareness of the humanity and the sacrifices and, and, and the, the people who are serving as volunteers they're just used as pawns and it, it 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 really is extremely disturbing because this is what other militaries in the world have done this was not the tradition of the united states of america mm -hmm. and what i've seen in the damage to the integrity the morale the following the rule of UCMJ, rule of law, the Constitution, and and just running roughshod over service members. And, and I've worked with a lot of service members in our efforts through the Truth for Health Foundation to defend their rights being abused in under military secrecy by the Department of Defense during the COVID years. And the deliberate punishment and persecution and harassment of our volunteer service members is absolutely appalling. And parents who have people in the service don't even realize what's being done to their sons and daughters under this leadership since mm -hmm. the Biden administration took over. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, we could talk about COVID. And this is a firsthand experience that I had. Uh, uh, I never received the, vac uh, the vaccination. I had no intention of receiving the vaccination. But uh, I was, um, since, since I was on active duty, duty during, the, during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, I was grandfathered in. So I still was seen by the military doctors on Fort Huachuca, Arizona. So as, as, a, as a military retiree, so was my wife. We, we, our provider was an active duty military doctor. And so one day we went up to the hospital and, you know, she, I had to take her for an appointment and I ran into a, uh, he was a Lieutenant Colonel and he wasn't my provider, but he was a physician. And I walked up to him and I said, sir, I have a question for you. And he said, sure. What can I do for you? Mass Arm? And I said, I have a question. If I lose my shot records and you guys take my blood, you guys can tell if I have the antibodies to that, you know, I think it was, I asked him about, I think it was uh, chicken pox or one of those, one of those ones where they can test your blood and they can tell, yeah, you've either had it or you had the vaccine, the vaccination for it. And he said, yeah, sure. Absolutely. And he says, so basically that doesn't differentiate between whether I got the vaccine or whether I was actually exposed to the virus and I now have natural immunity, correct? And he said, yep, that's correct. And I said, so if I catch COVID and I recover, I have the antibodies, correct? And he literally all of a sudden came to attention, put his arms down by his side, his eyes got wide, and he said, Master Sergeant, the United States Army Medcom does not represent, rec recognize natural immunity as a defense against COVID. Only the COVID vaccination is, and it was. What? I, yeah, that actually happened to me. I was like, and I, I said, so you're telling me that if I catch this disease and I recover from it, that it's not the, that I don't have the antibodies. And he repeated himself, Master Sergeant, it is the policy of the United States Army Medcom that we do not recognize natural immunity as this blah 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 against COVID, I was like, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with we're dealing with people that that um, in the military who, for some reason, I don't think I don't think they're teaching it anymore. And I I could talk to you about this also, but they used to teach what's called the ethical decision making process at the academies, officer and enlisted. You know, yes. if someone is giving you an order that's immoral, illegal, or unethical, you are duty-bound to ask that person to repeat the order or clarify it. And if it is, in fact, immoral, illegal, or unethical, you are duty-bound not to obey it. And, you know, you and, and I... That's I, what I, Commander Green... That's what mutual. Commander Rob Green has been saying from the get-go about COVID. Well, and Sam so Sigler. has Lieutenant Bashaw... Yeah. Colonel Green, um, uh, sorry. Uh, the, the first, uh, one, the first one to enter Colonel the battle. Long the first one up there, to Doctor Sigaloff. Yeah, Doctor Sigaloff. I mean, he was my doctor. He was. Yes. He signed off on my uh, my vaccine exemption, and you know, look what they did to him. You know, terrible what they did to him. So you know, there's definitely uh, a problem with the military being politicized it it's really bad right now it's it's very bad well and i've seen it because that's what our whole effort has been in the truth for health foundation 
since the fall of 2021, since September, October 2021, right after the COVID shot mandate was issued on August 23rd, 2021 by Austin, Mm -hmm. Mr. Austin. Mm -hmm. And we had done four press conferences in August 2021 for the focus on stop the shot because of the medical damage we already knew prior to Lloyd Austin's unlawful mandate for the entire U.S. military to receive the COVID shots, which were all experimental. They were never available any FDA-approved products for the military to receive. Fast forward to our work with the military service members, they, there were so many who stood against the unlawful order for the very reasons you said they were duty-bound not to obey an unlawful, immoral, or unethical order. That has always been the case. And every single one of them has been persecuted, harassed, and many terminated abruptly, except those who filed lawsuits. And Todd Callender led the first lawsuit against the Department of Defense in August of 2021. So I've been very much in the middle of trying to defend our service members' rights with the foundation, thanks to our donors, has given several hundred thousand dollars in grants for legal defense, particularly for the military who had very few resources and were persecuted under the cloak of military secrecy. So what has taken place in the last three years with the destruction of the rule of law in our military should cause shame for every military commander who has carried out this politicized agenda. I don't know how they sleep at night. Well, I think that um, a lot of them, I think a lot of them uh, have been indoctrinated in our, in our university system. You know, I mean, many of these people are, are, uh, uh, they they um, uh, but but then I could also I've also read reports that um, they're starting to teach this this nonsense. It's dangerous. It's nonsense, but it's dangerous. They're starting to teach this stuff at the academies, at the military academies. Oh yes, uh, yeah, yes, like, like, yeah. I mean, like uh, I, I I and this is something that I wanted to mention. I, I um, there's a there's an academy up on Fort Huachuca. It's the uh, U, U.S. Uh, U.S. Army Military Intelligence NCO Academy. And I, I went up there uh, last spring because I had the question, are they still teaching the ethical decision-making process at the academies? Now, I went up there and uh, I asked to speak to the chief instructor and I identified myself, you know, and and uh, he wouldn't look at my ID card. And he said, um, I don't know who you are and why you're asking these questions. I said, well, it's a simple question. I used to teach here at this academy. You know, I was I was a first sergeant here. You know, I was a sergeant major here, you know, and I, I just want to know, do you guys still teach this here? And he said, well, um, I really can't answer your questions because I really didn't. So I pulled out my ID card. And I said, look, I'm a master. Said, I'm not I'm not doubting that you're a veteran, but 
but uh, I, I just, uh, I don't understand why you're asking these questions. And I said, well, you know what, if I can just, if, if it's such a problem for you, I can just go talk to your head shit. I can just go talk to your Sarge major. And he was like, well, what exactly do you want to know? I said, I just want to know, do you guys teach this? You guys used to teach a full week plus an FTX and you would, it was scenario based regarding ethics and decision-making. And he told me, he said, no, we don't do that anymore. We, we've, we've condensed it down to about maybe an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. Wow. And, I said, and I said, really? And he says, yeah. And I said, well, you answered my question. So that's. Well, that tells us why we are where we are. Mm -hmm. And I would like to ask you, what would you like to say to the American people in closing today's show honoring the veterans who have served this country honorably and kept their commitment to the oath to the U.S. Constitution. You know, I want to relay a story. Um, I, I did three tours in Korea. And on my first tour, um, the, I can't remember his name, but the then uh, president of South Korea uh, did an interesting call out. And he asked if there were any descendants of any soldiers of the American forces uh, that were currently stationed on the peninsula. And um, my name popped up and uh, it was really, really a wonderful thing because uh, I get, I got to meet his, uh, you know, the, 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 the VP and several of the governors and they very graciously, there was about 15 or 20 of us, all of us were descendants of, soldiers who had fought and died on the Korean Peninsula. And they, 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 they paid for a 10-day vacation for us. And we went everywhere, all expenses paid. And I, and I was like, I was very grateful for that. I mean, it, I, it should have been my, my, my uncle, but I was very grateful for that. And so my message today on this, on this Veterans Day is, you know, there are many veterans that are in, you know, homes right now that they're very old. There's some of them that uh, don't have family. Some of them are homeless, um, you know, and uh, just remember that those people are part of an unbroken chain. I am part of an unbroken chain that goes back to the man who fired the shot heard around the world. And those people, okay, what they sacrificed for us, Okay, what they did for us cannot be in vain. So my message is not only to, you know, the rank and file veterans out there, but also to any, maybe any political leaders, a mayor, governor, board of supervisors, anybody, you know, if you can do something to make a difference for a veteran, for a, for a soldier, Army, Navy, even, even someone on active duty, even the smallest gesture means something. It, 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 tells, it tells us that our service means something. It is of value. It is intrin intrinsically precious, and it must be protected. Powerfully said. Master Sergeant Jack Dona, thank you for your service, and thank you for your continuing service to help all of us stand for what America has always stood for, and that is the rule of law, Judeo-Christian values, 
and the concept of duty, honor, and country. Thank you. And to all of you listening, remember, when the military starts engaging in unlawful actions, that is a very ominous trend. That is what we see with North Korea, Cuba, China, the Soviet Union, and so many others that have not ever had the tradition of an underpinning of a moral basis of taking up arms to defend God-given gifts of life and liberty. All of us begin to lose something critical when our military loses its compass, its true north, its focus on what is right and moral and ethical and what is lawful under the Uniform Code of Military Justice and the United States Constitution. Let us never forget that a military gone rogue is dangerous to all of us. Let us honor those who have served honorably, who have served under these core values, and let us all come together to stand firm against the further assault on the rule of law and our core founding principles. This is Dr. Lee for America, closing out this year's Veterans Day program. Thank a veteran. And as Master Sergeant Donna said, do something to help that veteran to recognize their service. Thank you for listening today. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org. And for all of you veterans, check out our military resources. We do have a military advisory council. We welcome those of you who want to stand for what is right and good about America and our U.S. military. Thank you for being with us today.